a writer by the name of Anne Lamont in an autobiographical piece she calls Traveling Mercies describes her conversion to Christ. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner, and I assumed it was my father whose presence I had felt over all the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. And of course there wasn't. But after a while in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this. And I was appalled. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian. And it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and I said out loud, I'd rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love, and I squinched my eyes shut that that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. I fell asleep, and in the morning he was gone. This experience spooked me so badly, but I thought it was just an apparition born of fear and self-loathing and booze and loss of blood. But then everywhere I went, I had the feeling that there was this little cat that was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. If you let a cat in and give it a little milk, it stays with you forever. One week later, I went back to church. I was so hungover that I could not stand up for the songs. And this time I stayed for the sermon, which I thought was just so ridiculous. Like somebody trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful all at the same time. And I felt their voices, or something, was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling and it washed over me. And I began to cry. And I left before the benediction, and I raced home, and I felt that little cat running along at my heels, and I walked down past the docks and dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as the one in God's dreams, and I opened the door to my houseboat, and I stood there a minute, and I hung my head, and I said, I quit. I took a long, deep breath, and I said out loud, All right. You can come in. So that was the beautiful moment of my conversion. 
The question I'm supposed to start this sermon with is, tell me one life that was changed this week because of our ministry. You didn't know there were instructions for the preacher in this series, did you? There, there are. They're all printed out, and Shane made sure I got them, and I bound them in a volume so I wouldn't lose them. And that's the question that's supposed to start this sermon. And i got to tell you, a question like that frightens me. And it frightens me on several levels. For one thing, it assumes that we always know what's going on in our ministries and our missions and whether or not they're going to bear fruit or bring results. And life in the church is not that simple. Sometimes we know. Most of the time we don't. It frightens me too because I know and you know in your hearts that we're only instruments. We're only the catalyst that helps somebody come in contact with the living God. And that God is the one who's responsible for any deep, any meaningful change that comes in anybody's life. But then I guess if I'm really honest, trying to be real as we were instructed to do in our study this past week, it frightens me because I also know how far my own labor is often lacking. My witness week, my life not as directed as it could be to truly carry out God's calling for me, for us. To be carriers of the faith, transmitters of the truth. But then I remember, thank God, there's a deeper truth in today's lesson that we need to hear. Sometimes, you see, we think we're on a search, a search for God, and yet to tell the story of our faith in a more biblical way, we would have to say that Jesus is on a search for us. He comes to us often in the most surprising and inopportune times, often in the strangest or maybe the most ordinary of places, like the woman described in the opening story. He comes to us, speaking to us in an encounter initiated, not by us, but by Him. We come to faith, we are given the gift of the living water, salvation for our souls. Because God comes looking for us. We who have long been a part of the church sometimes forget how we got here. As we said a couple of weeks ago, most of us were probably born into the church. We can't remember a time when we weren't Christian. Our parents read to us from the large print Bible storybook for children. After a few years, we knew all the Bible stories, at least the big significant ones, by heart. We may not have understood what they meant, but we knew the story. We went to church all the time, unless we were sick. But not everybody has that experience. Take George. George wasn't born into a Christian home. In fact, George noted later that no one in his family, at least that anybody could remember, had ever darkened the door of a church. 
When George was a child, he said he would see people going in and out of the church on Sunday and he would say to, our, to his mother, what happens in church? And his mother would say, we don't do that. In adolescence, as a teenager, when most kids really needed, the church was there for most of us. Friends got made. We went through confirmation. There were conferences about faith. There were mission trips. All these things have an impact on us. But that wasn't a part of George's world. And the benefits of having supportive people around him simply weren't there. And yet, later in life, through the nurturing presence of friends, George does become a Christian. He does become a part of the church. But you see, the truth is, it's very hard to step into a place where everybody else seems to know the stories and you don't. It's very hard to step into a place where they use words that you don't know. And we've heard them so much, we've fling it around like dust and those who've never heard them don't have a clue what we're saying. Most of us have been here a long, long time. We can't remember back before we knew. But that's not true for people like George. For those who came along later who learned the story as older children or teenagers or older adults. You see, some of us are insiders. We like to think we know what goes on here. And we label those who come along later as, well, they're sort of outsiders. Today's gospel lesson is really about the outsider. There are some insider stories in the Bible. Jesus deals with insiders. But the truth is, we don't much like those stories. Because the insider stories tend to be Jesus dealing with religious folks. Well, you say, we should like that. Until we remember that the religious folks are scribes and Pharisees. And, and that makes us really twitchy. We really get uncomfortable because we're the religious folks. Jesus tells the story about the encounter with a woman of Samaria. Shouldn't have happened. We, if we're insiders, know the phrase, the Good Samaritan from another story. Those words in Jesus' day was oxymoronic. There's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. They don't exist. This person, this person he encounters not only is Samaritan, she's a woman. She is on the margins of a very patriarchal society. So, there's two strikes against her now. She is a, the ultimate outsider. She's a foreigner, hated. She's a woman. But it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Here she is, an outcast in her own town. How do we know that? We know that because here she is in the middle of the day hauling water from the well. Hauling water in that day was 
woman's work. Sorry about that. That's just the way it was. But it also was a social thing. You got up in the morning and you went to draw your water for the day. Nobody goes to draw water at noontime. It's like getting up in the morning and meeting your friends at the local coffee shop for a cup and a chat before you go to work. She couldn't do that. She's an outcast in her own town. She shows up to draw water in the heat of the day. Sometimes in the Gospels we hear stories about us insiders. But often it's about outsiders. Sometimes we hear stories like the one we heard as children, if indeed you grew up to hear the story, of Nicodemus, the ultimate insider. But no, not this woman. She is the ultimate outsider. And yet Jesus initiates an encounter with her. He strikes up a conversation while she's out there drawing water and surely she had no intention that morning of engaging in a theological discussion with a Jewish man when she went to draw water by herself. She wasn't looking for a savior. She came to get water when people would leave her alone. Jesus comes to her. And in coming to her, he engages her in one of the most enlivening and interesting conversations in the entire Scripture. He speaks to her about deep truths, not only about eternal life and living water, but about her own existence on earth. Sometimes when Jesus gets in conversations with us insiders, it ends up a little strange because so often the Pharisees and the scribes go away more confused than they were. But when Jesus calls upon the outsider and engages in this lively conversation, at the end of the encounter, she goes running back into town and she hunts out these people who wouldn't have anything to do with her in the first place and she says, come and see the one who has told me everything I've ever done. And the language is a little squirrely in our translation, but it really comes off as, you don't think it could be the Messiah, do you? But that's really a question that's being answered within itself. Because what she's saying is, I really think this guy's the Messiah. If you're an insider, you've been in church so many Sundays, you've heard the story so many times, you probably know that the Gospels draw parallels between the insider and the outsider. Maybe you know that Jesus generally appears to have better luck with outsiders than insiders. 
He seeks them out, in fact. I don't think it's too much of an overstatement to say that the Gospels are prejudiced toward those people who stand on the fringes of society, especially religious society. You remember the criticism that Jesus got most often? This man talks and eats with sinners. And Jesus says, who else would I eat and talk with? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In any church of my acquaintance, that's still who Jesus gathers with. In any church, there are mainly two types of people who gather in conversation. There are those of us who think we're insiders. There's those of us who think we're outsiders. But the truth is, we're all in the same boat. Because really, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Insiders are supposed to know about religion. Outsiders are made to feel inadequate, marginalized. And that's strange, since more often than not, that's who Jesus turns toward. A pastor was telling a story to a leader in his church, and he said, this woman joined the church recently. She spent most of her life until she got older as a Las Vegas showgirl. And when she aged out of that job, she worked in a small Nevada town in a brothel. Now she's 60. She's changed her life. She's come to faith. She's joined the church. And the church leader said, that's an amazing story of evangelism. And the pastor said, you know, I just can't believe the kind of people Jesus will hang out with. You remember the question that I was supposed to start this sermon with? Tell me one life that has been changed because of our ministry. I think I know the answer. Every single one of us. But that's not where we stand. That's just the start. This morning, whether you think of yourself as insider or outsider, know this. Jesus has found you. He has sought you out, engaged you, begun the conversation, and if He hasn't yet, He's working on it. He gives us what we need. He challenges those of us who think we already know it all. He prods us and confuses us and pushes us to take this journey a little further and reminds us that we're all in the same boat because we all started in the same place. And He reminds us that we are supposed to be those who are telling this news to the outsider.
So who are you this morning? What do you call yourself? Know this. Today's Gospel, this story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman is a reminder that wherever you are, Jesus has either found you or He's looking for you. He's called you. So enjoy the conversation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.